0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward Rick Barry from behind the line. They put him again. It's Barry. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading
2: scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. All right, Rick Barry's having some technical difficulties. He's going he's to join us in just a moment. But our next guest here on Warriors 24 uh, is is a journalist. He's a writer for USA Today covering the NBA. Before that, he was the Warriors uh, beat reporter um, covering the, the Golden State Warriors during their their dynasty. And then even before that, he was a beat reporter covering the Los Angeles Lakers. Not a bad resume right there. Mark Medina is joining Warriors 24. You could follow him on Twitter at mark g underscore Medina, and here's rick here we go
0: yeah something popped up on the computer there that said that uh, nothing was going on and so i had to allow it but anyway how uh, first of all everybody so you know mark is actually in the bubble so yeah, what's it's, life it's like great. in the bubble before we get into talking about you
1: it's it's like an alternate universe because uh <laughs> you know we're, we're we have all these strict parameters we get tested every day there's all these games every day so you feel like Every day it's moving both fast and slow, if that makes sense, where there's times it feels you know, like you're dragging because you've been logging all these hours, but then you get the adrenaline of the games and seeing everything going on. So it's been, uh, it's been action-paced. It's been fun. It's been tiring, but I think the big picture, I'm just grateful that I'm healthy. I'm seeing basketball again, especially knowing uh, the state of the world we're in right now.
0: Well, I mean actually talk about being you probably couldn't be in a safer place where you are. I mean not very yeah. many people are having being being tested and and having all of the uh, all of the parameters that they have there and everything that's in place that you have to take that you have to do. So that's a good thing I guess. Yeah, they they've they've adopted this new slogan, you know, Disney World
1: was always known as the happiest place on earth and now they call it here the safest place on earth. So, <laughs> it's uh it, it's it's I'm I'm more and more impressed the the more time goes on. Uh, And obviously that's because there have been zero positive cases since this all started once everyone was on campus. But, you know, knowing that there's still a long ways ahead, the way I see it play out every day gives me full confidence. They will have a perfect uh, shooting percentage with this because there's just so many things as we require everyone to do with the testing. you got to report your temperatures and oxygen reading every day. Um, you know, if, if there are any things of people stepping outside of the bubble, they go in quarantine. Everyone's wearing masks. We all have beepers around our credentials that go off if you're closer than six feet, and that sound gets really annoying. So <laughs> it, it forces you to to make sure that you're following the rules here.
2: Well, you have a beeper that that goes off when you get close to the players, Is, or how does that work?
1: No, not close to the players. It's uh, it goes off if you're uh, within six feet of someone, like player, coach, reporter. Huh. We we wear it around our credential. Now, I will say that you know I think this device works a little too well, and so <laughs> we are often following the rules and we're more than six feet away but it's sensitive so it goes off even more and so there is a device where you can silence it for an hour you know some like myself have sometimes put in our backpack and say well it's not on it's not on i forgot right but i think all <laughs> that aside we've uh, we've been following the rules and, and doing all the, the things there but that that's one of the, the minor inconveniences but it's all good <laughs>
0: Yeah, I would imagine when the games are going on, if you're around and doing things, I mean, it would be pretty disconcerting and annoying to everyone because I know sometimes that I've gone fishing down in Mexico at a place where they have cows walking around on the thing where you're fishing for bass and stuff, but they get bells on, and the bells are going, you know, the little stupid things driving me nuts while I'm trying to fish. And so you're trying to play basketball, but you've got buzzers going off all the time.
1: Well, well, it's funny you say that, Rick, because a lot of times that has happened during the post-game interviews. Um, not so much anymore because, what, it's been a month, and a half since we've gotten down here. But the first few days of practice, it felt like every other second it was going off. And we were getting annoyed. The players were all flustered. It it was a funny, hot mess. But, uh, you know, trial and error, my friend, and uh, we've just been getting through it.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. I'm glad that everything is going well in that regard. So before we get into talking a lot more about, you know, basketball and specifics, let's – I I think the people should know. Give us a little – tell people a little bit about your background and how you came to be where you are today.
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania, went to Syracuse for college. It's a good journalism school. Um, So I I grew up out, you know, on the East Coast my entire life. Uh, Grew up an NBA fan, went to a a school that, you know, has a a great college basketball program, a great journalism program. But I'd never lived in California before that. Uh, But I applied to all these different jobs uh, after I graduated. And I got an internship with the LA Times. Quick uh, drive out west after graduating and one thing led to another it was first an internship where they're shuffling you around different parts of the paper i'm um, then working in sports you know kind of being the utility guy helping out wherever it's ever wherever they need help and then you know that that ran its course you know they had a round of layoffs i'm you know the last guy in first one out i'm young i'm certainly not as talented as everyone else but they They rehired me like three weeks later because they needed someone to run their Lakers blog for their website. So that was my entryway into doing things with the NBA. So that started in the middle of their championship run in 2010. Hmm. Um, And that carried me through the next two years. I then became a beat writer for the Lakers for the LA Daily News. So I covered uh, Kobe Bryant's final four seasons as a beat writer and then the first year uh, following the, the Kobe Bryant era with the Lakers. And so that that was a blast. Obviously, the Lakers have been a renowned franchise. And even though I covered their worst stretch in franchise history, <laughs> uh, there was still captivating things to write about. And I saw the tail end of Kobe's career. Um, but then the stars aligned where Bay Area News Group had an opening to cover the Warriors. And as Rick knows, they're – that, was, that is a dynasty, and that's, uh, that was a captivating team to cover. And so I thought that that would be a great opportunity, not just to cover that team, but also to expand my bandwidth around the NBA. So I left to, and went up to Oakland in 2017, uh, covered them for two years. And then last summer, USA Today was looking for a West Coast NBA person that already have someone out east. And so they interviewed a slew of candidates, including myself, and I think they looked at, hey, your resume, you've covered the Lakers, you covered the Warriors, you're already based out west. Let's have you be our, our west coast guy. So last fall I moved back to L.A. Uh, since there's two pretty good teams in that backyard, and mm-hmm. I've just been floating around the Western Conference a lot of, the, a lot of this past season, and, you know, it's, uh, it's been quite a, quite a season to say the least.
0: Well, that's well. That had to be very exciting. Very, uh, I'm, I'm sure, educational for you during the process. You certainly put your time in to get yourself to the point you are now, and you wouldn't be there. Listen, if you weren't any good. There's no way that USA is going to hire you or anybody else is going to hire you. So congratulations on that. And if you're like any of those other guys, I mean, I remember when I first came in the league, there were so many guys that were so freaking old, I thought they might die when they went out to get a beer afterwards with the guys. So maybe you'll, <laughs> maybe you'll be able to hang around for a lot of years, you know, covering this great sport. And you see, and listen, in the short time you've really done this, I mean, you've been doing it for eight years now since you really got into be an actual you know writer writing for a newspaper, covering a team and doing a beat writer. You've seen a lot of stuff. I mean, you went through the whole situation with the Lakers and then of course you had the good fortune of being with the Warriors during that, you know, incredibly historic run that they went on for 5 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, and and now look at what you're going through now. I mean, you're going to have so many stories to tell your grandkids. It's going to be unbelievable. So what what's the yeah, what's the, what's on, the biggest memory? Real. What's the greatest memory? All these things I've been talking about, all these things you told us about, what has been the most memorable for you. And I'm sure, you know, whether it's emotional, whether it was just what you saw, I mean, there might be more than one.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think like the f- happiest memories would be uh, just seeing greatness, right? Like I don't have a stake in these guys' success, right? But you want to see historical moments um, and, and you want to see greatness. So seeing the Lakers win a championship against Boston, seeing the Warriors you know, beat Cleveland again in the finals. Seeing Kobe's final season of it, uh, final game of his career, where he scored sixty points. I mean, th- mm-hmm. so those are the the most vivid memories that are happy. Uh, but the biggest memory is what's tragically happened this past year, when we got the news on January twenty sixth that Kobe passed away because it was uh, because of a helicopter crash. And you know, in any normal circumstance, it's an obvious tragedy. That's tough, but. What, what exacerbated that even more was I had literally interviewed him 10 days before that Uh, crazy weird set of circumstances where I was already, I was doing a story uh, catching up with how he's pivoted from his storied MBA career to all his post-retirement projects. So he had a new project coming out. He was promoting that, you know, I, we linked up because I wanted to get, you know, sink my teeth into this larger story on how he's made that transition. And so the fact that I had just spoken to him really opened some wounds. The subject matter opened some wounds. You know, the theme of it was he's done all these things, but he feels like he's just getting started with his ambitions, with his storytime projects, doing all these things with his 13 year old daughter, Gianna. And then 10 days later, it's all gone. And that's, I think, you know, any person's death is tragic, but, when you talk to people in the Lakers organization and, and process him personally, I think those things made that pain even more unsettling. Yeah.
0: That, that was, had to be a very difficult thing for anybody who knew him. I had the pleasure of getting to, to know him and be around him. And he was always very accommodating, great to my boys. And I just, just a, a terrific young man who was doing a lot of wonderful things uh, in the, in the world of well technology, but also really, so committed to to sports and trying to prove things, especially for the women with, with his daughter. So that was, you know, it was a very sad day, no question about that. Well, let's get it. Let's get into. Uh, I know you've got some questions, Cyrus, about what's going on now. So I'm, I, I kind of dominated things here. That's and, all right. Uh, Sorry, right. you're gonna, the leader. Of this uh,
1: you're a hall of famer. Rick. You can exactly. Do
0: you want. <laughs> exactly. That's my mentality of this. Like,
2: dude, it's Rick <laughs> well, Barry. Okay. Let, all right. So let me
0: let me let me get this out of the way since we were just bringing he brought up brought up Kobe and and Cyrus. You you know how I felt about it. i want to get yeah. your thoughts on this, Mark, because. I have told people, so many people say, oh, Kobe, man, he's selfish doing stuff. I said, are you out of your mind? I said, let me tell you something. Kobe Bryant is a freaking, I mean, if he was a warrior, he would be the ultimate warrior because that's the way that he approached things. When he put that damn uniform on, you were going to get everything that Kobe Bryant had. And that's what I respected so much about him. And I said, look, when he was at the Lakers, I guarantee you that if you went back and you, somebody charted it and looked at the, fi- the footage, that Kobe gave Shaq more assists than anybody else on the Lakers team. I mean, he wasn't yeah. selfish. The time that he felt he was selfish when he didn't have anybody with him and he was trying to carry that team on his shoulders and mm. he was, you know, forcing things a little bit, trying to do more. But it was not for him. It was to try to win, for God's sake. So your thoughts about Kobe in that regard? Uh, I'm completely with you. And
1: look, I think toward, you know, the early parts of his career, of course, he had to figure out with any – like any player of, you know, how do you achieve that balance? How do you bring the best out of teammates uh, without alienating them? But – by and large, even for people like Shaq who had their personality differences, they're, they're, uh, let's not get it twisted. He always respected not only his talent, but the fact that he worked at it. And so, you know, the Lakers organization, they know, you know, some of his maniacal competitive natures, but they enjoyed it. They appreciated that he was always giving everything that he had. And he also demanded that from me. So what I find very fascinating when you, when you look at Kobe, is that yes? He wanted to win, and that was his driving force. But when he was looking at teammates, he's not just evaluating, "Hey, is this guy a really good player and can he help me win?" I mean, that helps. Like he loves Kyle Gasol, he loves all his teammates that he won championships with. But he had a really soft spot for those role players that you know overachieved. They, they got by simply because they outworked everyone. So when he's listed his favorite players it's not a coincidence that he has talked about guys like Steve Blake and Derek Fisher and Karan Butler like these are all good great guys but no one's mistaking them for all-star players but Kobe held them in such high esteem because he felt like those were the guys that matched that work ethic and had the same mentality so you know when people are judging how difficult Kobe may or may not be, you have to understand that he's looking at through the prism of, he wants to give everything he has and he expects everyone else to have the same attitude about
0: things. Yeah, I, just, I respected him. I respected him yeah. so much for that. And, and um, I, I just, I loved it. I mean, that's the thing to me. You put that uniform on, especially now. I mean, you're getting paid multi-millions of dollars. How the hell do you go out there and not give everything you have? If not only for yourself, but my God, for the owner who's paying you all that money for your teammates, for their fans. I mean, geez, I mean, I, I go nuts sometimes when I see guys just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And, and the <laughs> thing that, that drove Kobe crazy
1: is look, he knows that, you know, his mentality was to shoot the ball because that's what he did well. And sure, there are a lot of shots that he took through double or triple teams or maybe the the easy play is to find the open teammate. But I think he he would get annoyed of that narrative of he's shooting too much. He's not passing the ball enough uh, because he felt like that was an excuse for players not to hustle and get open. That if they're expecting to just get the ball handed to them while they're standing, they're not going to do anything. Um, and so he wanted people to still have that aggressive mentality to increase the odds of getting a good shot because that's how often he created those shots for himself. Um, yeah. So it, it, he was captivating player to watch and, and cover, and uh, and I think the Lakers over the years they grew to
0: to not only appreciate his talent but appreciate everything that would go into that. Well, I think what he did is I can relate to what it is. He, he when I got the ball, it was just like Kobe, you, my goal was to try to put it in the basket and I was going to be aggressive. And that's what Kobe did, provided. And you're going to try to score, and I'm sure that's his method. He was going to try to score, provided he didn't have a teammate in a better position. So it's the responsibility of your teammates to move without the ball, put yourself in a position. And if you did that, I guarantee you, Kobe would get you the ball.
1: Yeah, and I think when you look at the teammates that thrived the best with him, You know, even Shaq, for all their differences, him, Hal Gasol, Derek Fisher, they knew how to scheme with Kobe, and they knew how he was operating. And even if it's easy to say, oh, well, he's shooting a lot, they all were aware that Kobe has, you know, vision, and he can tell if they're open. And so when that split second comes where he's deciding, and you know what, this is not the time for me to pass, those guys have to be ready. And a lot of times they were because they understood
0: uh, that whole mindset. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same type of situation that people don't really seem to understand. You know, they would say, oh, God, that was a great play. They made the extra pass. Well, the extra pass is bullshit if you're making the extra pass to a guy who can't shoot. Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Because then it's just a clank and a miss. So what's the point of that?
0: Uh. Thank you. Exactly. (laughs) And so when he had bad, when he had, he didn't have great teammates on some of those teams, you know, Hey, he's better off shooting with two guys on him than to a guy that's open.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a good point. And now one thing that Kobe has admitted is that he started to learn and appreciate how to express empathy toward a player. Like he never wanted to, say to a teammate, Hey, you did a great job, even if they didn't. But he also knew that there's a way to make people, you know, feel empowered about themselves. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe earlier on his career, he would, you know, do the glare and, and get on guys for mistakes. And he softened that a little bit and, and tried to make it more constructive. So I think that was the journey that, that Kobe was going through of he didn't want to compromise the work ethic and the expectations. But how do you, you know, deliver that feedback in, in a way that yields positive results? And he's always, he always wants to be honest, but he wanted, I think, as he got older, to, to be more of an empowering presence than someone that's just,
0: you know, ripping your head off all the time. Well, I'm glad we were able to talk a little bit about someone that I respected a great deal, and, and mm-hmm. I'm glad to get your insight on that. And So, Cyrus, let's let's get into some stuff that's happening today.
2: Yeah, well, I wanted to just quickly add to the Kobe thing. Also, we saw in the last dance how close his relationship was with, with Michael Jordan. I mean, Jordan looked at Kobe as like a little brother, and you could see a lot of Kobe's game emulated from Jordan, right? I mean, whether it was the mentality, whether it was the shooting style, everything um, – and a lot of things made sense almost when you saw the last dance, but Mark, you're in the bubble. I mean, this is about as esoteric of an environment as you're going to find. Uh, people can't just come in and out. You've been there for six weeks. I guess first off, like, like does, does the fact that you've been in the bubble for six weeks means you haven't seen anyone else besides the same players and other media and coaches? Have you been able to socialize? Like what's life been like for the last six weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing the same people. Uh, it feels like Groundhog's Day. Um, but as far as socializing, yeah, I mean, there's very few things you can do, and these games keep you busy. But you're able to mingle around this whole bubble. But the bubble has its restrictions, right? We're at a hotel in Coronado Springs. There's three other hotels on the property, and it's very spread out.
0: And hmm. you
1: can't go to those other hotels. So where I'm at at Coronado Springs – we got the hotel room. There's a gym. There's a pool. There's a place to pick up food. And then there's, uh, you know, a nice walking trail near a lake. You can play some pickleball. Those are all fine things, but that's it. And then after that, there's a bus stop. You can get on the shuttle to go to the arena. But I think, you know, when you know what you're here for, you're here to go to practice, go to games, you know, your days are filling up pretty quickly. Um, you know, there was one day where you know, because Portland and Memphis was playing the seed-in game to get to the playoffs uh, in the afternoon, there wasn't anything else going on that day. So, there there are opportunities to go fishing or golfing, but uh, you know, it's it's very few and far between because there's just so many games. You're working late at night, but I think even if this isn't how it used to be, I mean, I'm just reminding myself, look, ever since the pandemic hit March, what my day to day was was mostly working at home and just doing zoom calls all day Mm -hmm. this is a vastly net upgrade compared to that where you can see people you can talk from social distance you can see live basketball so it might be tiring it might be exhausting but it's a blast uh i mean you're you're covering nba basketball a little bit so it's been fun and you know i think the most important thing is thankfully we've all been safe here.
2: yeah yeah Are, are you are you so you, so the so the only place you can go besides the hotel is a, like a bus or a shuttle that takes you to the arena? Is that correct?
1: That's about it, yeah. Now you can uh, make appointments to you know get a tea time in the driving range on the weekends. Same thing okay. what's going on. There's a bus that takes you to this lake to go fishing. Uh, so I did the fishing trip. I didn't do the tea times only because look, I'm doing these nine o'clock games and getting done <laughs> at like two or three o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to wake up for a 6 a.m. tea time just to get 18 holes. Like, I'm going to get that sleep so I can cover the next game, you know, fully competent and aware, right? So that, that's where kind of the restrictions are. Like, they have, you have the social distancing restrictions, but you have the restrictions by virtue of everyone's here for a reason with basketball, and that, that keeps mm-hmm. us pretty busy. Uh,
0: well, but I'll tell you fun. what. I've been I, I've been in seventh heaven, man. As you to up, we ever go fishing and play pickleball and have some food. And I've got Wi-Fi. I'm good. Yeah. Right. And right. look, I'm I'm not the guy
1: who's been complaining. Oh, you were sucking in your room for a week. And what's wrong with the food? Look, it's not a five star restaurant, but the food's fine. It's not that big of a deal. And I'm seeing basketball games. So I'm I feel like some days a kid in a candy store here. And <laughs> look, you have long days, and but. It's just a puzzle piece, right? You just have to figure out, okay, how do you get your rest? How do you tweak your schedule? But once all that's sorted out, you're just watching basketball and writing and interviewing people. I mean, that's, that's why I got in this business. It's fun.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mark Medina from USA Today with us here, Rick Barry with Cyrus Satchison. So, but I'm assuming you're not married. Not married, no. i okay, that that's why that's why it's working 30, better for you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I will say this.
1: <laughs> so I, I don't so know I, if I'd be able to pull this off if I was married or had a family, because right. that, that's that's huh. a serious thing. And no, I, no. I think for the teams, you know, it's a real thing for the players and, and coaches. Like that has been a struggle, just being from away from family for such a long time. But yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, I don't have those uh, worries yet. But you know, in the next few years, that'll that'll happen.
0: What about so what how about, many how many waitresses' phone numbers have you gotten? I know. <laughs> uh,
1: zero now because there are no restaurants to go to. here. <laughs> uh, I
0: was
2: hoping maybe room service. You know, so are you are you in the same hotel as the players, or are, the, are they in the other three hotels you mentioned?
1: Yeah, no, yeah. So they're at the other three hotels. Okay. Uh, so I, we're at the Coronado Springs. There's three other hotels on the property, and, and look, this whole property is so spread out. So when you're talking how close it is. I mean, you you had to take a shuttle to get to those hotels. Um, And so we're not near them at all. And, you know, they have, for safety reasons they they have said, Hey, we can't bounce around from hotel to hotel. So our interaction is when they're having practices, you know, we're going to games uh, and even that's, you know, fairly limited because we can go to these zoom interviews in this hallway. um, But it's only a few amount of people. And, Unlike how it is in normal times, where you can have this give and take and just kind of making small talk off to the side, that's those interactions are a lot more limited. You know, there have been chances to do things every so often. You know, I caught up with Andre Guadala the other week. You know, know knew him from the Warriors. Yeah, but you know, compared to how it was in normal times, the 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 exchanges and interaction with everyone, it's just night and day because of all the, the safety concerns. But again. I think going back to what I was saying earlier where the last few months it was all just Zoom calls and making sure you weren't stuck on mute, like it's a weird thing that just the fact that you can see them in person and they see you, that that establishes a real connection here. So it does. it's a it's a weird time that we're in and all these little things that we didn't really think about before, you suddenly start thinking and cherishing.
0: So your hotel is your hotel I'm assuming that they took over the whole hotel and they have media and other people that are staying at your place. Is that it?
1: Yeah, the Coronado Springs, it's all the media and then you know the the different league PR officials, a lot of the the officials themselves that referee the games, they're there too. So the the whole property uh it's just been closed off to the general public and reserved for everyone you know, working with the NBA and the media has been pretty limited. I mean, there's a handful of, you know, people from ESPN and Turner because they're the broadcast partners. But other than that, it's really just one reporter each from, you know, some of the national outlets, USA Today with me, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Sports Illustrated, the Athletic. Um, You know, it's it's a very small amount of people that are here because of, you know, the awareness that you want to limit the amount of
0: people here for all the safety concerns i have a question about the you said the broad are the people who are doing the games are they are they doing it just from the tv feed or are they actually in the bubble and how does that work
1: yeah no they're actually in the arena but it's it's different than how it normally is uh they're they're in a booth that's protected by plexiglass and so because <laughs> because it's plexiglass it's not like they have to be calling the games while they're wearing a mask but they're not sitting courtside on the scores table like they used to Uh so it's a different view you know i talked with some of the broadcasters like ian eagle and kevin harlan stan van gundy reggie miller i mean all those guys they're used to like the players feeding off the crowd feeding Mm -hmm. off the energy using their cues so that's been an adjustment but no they uh they were able to make it work that they could be at the arena but when you're at the arena there's not a lot of people there um you know everyone who is sitting there it's just like scouts and front office people and their chairs are socially distant from each other everyone has to wear masks so you don't have that same energy in the building where you know thousands and thousands of people are normally screaming their heads off um so it's cool to see it up close like live basketball is always better than just on tv but um yeah, you're not hearing much noise except for the music.
0: What, so what the thing is, but do those guys actually, are they have the freedom to come in and out and go back out or do they have to stay in the bubble and be confined there?
1: Yeah, no, they are confined. Um, now, from my understanding, those announcers, they're staying at a hotel outside of the bubble. And here's where some of the gray area is. They are tested, but the people who are also at that hotel, that's part of the general public. So there is a little bit of a, A danger there Uh, Hmm. so there there haven't been there there's been different tiers of people that can go on these this property so for me i'm in tier one where i am just staying in the bubble i'm getting tested every day i have to do all these rules and i i'm not exposed to every anyone outside of the bubble and that allows me to be able to go to practices go to the press conferences but then they have uh other media members who are part of what they call tier two and they're not in the bubble but their access is a lot more limited they can go to the arena and watch the game but they can't interact with anyone and so i think from my understanding that's what how it applies to the announcers as well
2: Hmm. that's interesting you know we very interesting you know uh, a few weeks back lou williams got busted he claimed he was leaving the bubble for uh, family matters only it turns out he went to a strip club I think, I think we all can say that (laughs) we're amazing from what I hear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the buffet at the club is, is always the way to go. But, uh, you know, NBA players safe to say are used to a certain lifestyle. They're used to certain privileges. They're used to certain things just coming to them easily that all the rest of us common folks would only dream of. Right. And now they're like the common folk they're stuck in this isolated area um, certain wants and needs that I think they're accustomed to are not necessarily available. How are the players controlling their urges? I mean, are you hearing gripes? Are they okay with this? I mean, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, you definitely hear
1: gripes of what, <laughs> what the, you know, playing games without fans and what it's like here. But I think, I think to their credit, they, they understand what's at stake here. They, mm-hmm. you know, Most of them understand the safety concerns, the financial uh, benefits of finishing this season because a lot of the revenue is tied to the TV contracts. Um, and so, you know, the NBA is aware, well aware, and this is why they're not taking victory laps <laughs> until the season's over, that all it takes is one or a few cases to screw it up. But I think yep. you could also make the argument that when these things happened, the NBA enforced the rules and there were enough checks and balances to mitigate something. So, you know, whether it was something like Lou Williams or Rashawn Holmes inadvertently stepping out of campus because he was getting food delivery, they, they had to be in quarantine for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they want to be stuck in their room for that long and then get deducted paychecks, not have to be able to play games. And so I think Those early little things showed, look, you know, everyone's human. You have the temptations. But it it revealed that the NBA wasn't going to be messing around. And, you know, in Lou's case, I mean, it was – we all had our fun and everyone had their memes. But the NBA, they didn't necessarily have an issue of, hey, did you go to a strip club for whatever or was it for the wings? Their their whole problem was this (laughs) – they had approved him to go out of the campus because he, and this was a real thing. I mean, he had a mentor who passed away and he went to the Mm -hmm. funeral and you know, they've had other circumstances, you know, Montrose Harrell from the Clippers. He left because he was attending to his grandmother who just recently passed away. You know, Zion Williamson with the Pelicans left, you know, for a family matter. Mike Uh, Conley. left. yeah, Yeah. So, so they're fine with those real life things, but, to protect the bubble, they say, Hey, you have to get tested daily. We have to make sure you're not going anywhere else. And so, why it didn't sit well with them with Lou is that not that where he's going, but it's he's being exposed to people who aren't subject to the same rules. And so, right. that's why, Hey, we're not punishing you. It's saying right there in our protocols that if you do that, you have to do 10 days in quarantine. So. Uh, that's where we're at. But I think, and who knows, like I'm not naive to human nature and it's still a long ways before October. But I think because of those early cases and I think because the games are starting now and it's busy, it's every other day, I mm-hmm. don't think you're going to hear these examples of players going rogue or anything like that. I, I think there's just too much at stake here that they don't want to be the guy that screws it all up for everyone.
0: Yeah, Well, the one thing about this, Mark, is that that I'm pleasantly surprised is that the quality of the play, yeah. uh, even early on when they were doing it, both from a team standpoint but also some individually outstanding performances as well. So y- your thoughts on what you expected and what you have witnessed.
1: Yeah, you have a really great point. I thought the quality of play was going to be tough to watch. And you're thinking, hey, like – I'm only watching this because of the competition for the final playoff spot and that you haven't seen basketball in a while. But these games have been captivating. Now, what has Mm -hmm. been different is I think, you know, why you're seeing the Blazers and the Magic upset the number one seeds in both conferences. Um, Part of it has to do with the fact that a lot of these teams that were top seeds it was hard for them to find an incentive on, you know, exhausting all your resources in the seeding games when there weren't home court advantage implications. And teams were trying to make sure that they're healthy as can be for the postseason, where you compare and contrast that to Portland and Orlando, every game mattered, and they're trying to make sure that they're in the playoffs. And I know, you know, Rick, philosophically, you don't like – in this era guys resting and all that stuff. But I think that there was kind of this middle ground of hey, let's use this time to experiment with rotations, treat any nagging injuries so there's nothing lingering in the postseason. But as a result, they just don't have the same kind of momentum that the the eighth seeds have created. Now I think the biggest question going forward is when or if will that change? Will that momentum carry through the rest of these games or will it come to a point where Portland and Orlando just feel too exhausted and then talent and experience and prevails from the top seeds. We don't know. And I think that's one of the captivating things. There is this feeling that this whole this whole league is completely wide open because of all these weird circumstances that mm-hmm. have affected teams differently.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's one of those situations where they, you, you can't, it's not a light switch. You just can't turn it on and off. Yeah. I mean, if you're not accustomed to playing at a high level with a great deal of emotion and all of a sudden you're trying to just turn that on, the other team's going to have an advantage. But I think it's made it really, in, 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 I think, compelling for me is that, you know, look at what you know, Dallas did. I mean, Dallas could easily be up mm-hmm. to nothing right now they could I mean, oh yeah very, very easily i mean that that, that ridiculous tone poor thing is that was a joke uh, but <laughs> so I mean, no i'm serious this is this is a situation where the home court advantage is showing you that there is no real home court advantage here and so right. i think that's hurting those higher seated teams as well and so it's made it very interesting at least to me to see how these teams are going to respond i'd love to see how this is why i love playoffs the regular season, eh? Whatever. I, whatever.
2: <laughs> Did somebody say playoffs? Where's Jim Mora? That's on the copy. Did somebody say P-P-Plyoffs? playoffs? Playoffs. It's one of the greatest sports sound clips ever. Uh, the NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. You know, I, I, if anything, since the Lakers lost Game One. I'm almost thinking betting on them to win the championship. The odds must be actually looking pretty decent. I'm just so happy you can bet on sports again. Take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit again, that's betonline.ag, and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.
0: The playoffs, man, this is. Guys have had. There's a lot of guys out there. I know, Mark, that you've seen this over the years. A lot of guys have great regular seasons, and all of a sudden. They don't show up in the freaking playoffs. It's a mm-hmm. lot different playing really good during the regular season as opposed to playing really good during the playoffs. And so that's why it's kind of fun to see. So I'm looking forward to see how these teams respond. Interestingly enough, the Clippers got by Dallas in their first game, and then they came back and they got beat. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they they were beaten in the second game. So I, th- I think now the confidence level, and that's a big factor, I think, for all of the players and teams, is that confidence in yourself – and your team to be able to know that you can go out there and beat this other thing. I would say right now, Dallas honestly, truly believes they can beat the Clippers. What do you think Mark?
1: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Luca Doncic was asked that I was at the game last night. He was asked, do you think you can beat, beat the Clippers? He was like, yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't trying to come off as arrogant, but it's like, look, you have to have confidence to win any series that you face. You know, uh, Chris Hufford Zingas took it even further. He said, when he's out on the court he's already forming a championship mindset where he thinks he's competing for a championship now does that mean that they think hey they can win it all this year you know they certainly have a healthy amount of confidence but i, I don't think that they're looking at it like hey this season is championship or bust this ha- they they have two really young players that are expected to be really special mm-hmm. in years to come but i think that You know, they're not here to just, you know, celebrate getting their first playoff whenever. Like, they're here to take care of business. And so I think to your point, you know, who thrives in this environment is is really going to offer a window into which, you know, teams have the guys that don't have to have the perfect external circumstances to bring out the best in them and that they don't have to rely on you know, the home court crowd or even the pressure of being in a road environment to get them going. There's going to be a puzzle to be assembled of how do guys, you know, find the internal motivation to make up for some of those external things that may have provided them a list, a lift in previous years.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so Kurt, so tell me Cyrus, should I jump him for what he just said?
2: Uh, I, I What did he just I'm say?
0: Not... What did he just say about the players? What word did he use that is, that just jumps right at me. I I
2: totally missed it. Drop it. I, I
0: have no pressure. Pressure, and see, it's, it's a big thing with me, Mark. To me, pressure does not exist in the real world. The only time you have pressure is if you lack confidence, your ability to do what the hell it is you're asked to do. And so, anyway, that's that's just my that's my thing for today. That's That's kind of my it's it's just one of those things that I have a hard time dealing with because I hear it all the time, to the to an extent that I almost want to throw up when I hear it because I can tell you I never felt (laughs) pressure in my life on a basketball court. (laughs) Yeah, and what's interesting is yeah, Damian Lillard. He's been dismissive of that idea too.
1: Like when when it's crunch time in these last few games, where they're trailing by a few points or they're just winning by a few points, and you know their playoff fortunes are in the balance. Like he, not only does he have the confidence that he's going to pull it out, but if there is this possibility of losing, he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to get the next one. I mean, mm-hmm. when he missed those free throws against the Clippers and he missed that three that could have tied it late in the game. Uh, Don't get me wrong. He was critical of himself. He was upset. He thought they could have won that game. He felt like he let his teammates down, but he wasn't getting down the dumps. He was saying, I'm getting back the very next day and you can see me. You'll mark my words that when we play tomorrow, it'll be a non-issue. And then the next day he had like 51 points. So I think a lot of those guys have that, but there are guys that you know kind of overanalyze a little bit.
0: Skip Bayless is going to be mad at you because he's having this big thing going on with uh, with Dame. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. To, What's this to thing to... against
1: Dame exactly? I don't. Get... That he
0: doesn't that he doesn't show up. He I tell you what, he had some compelling statistics about him as to what he yes. did in fourth quarters. I mean, he had a good he had a really good case. Uh, he really did. But you know, Dame has really played exceptionally well uh, since he's been down there in the bubble and i i think i agree i would agree with you mark i mean maybe it hasn't happened it doesn't mean that he's not a clutch player sometimes yeah. you know you don't get it done but it's not like he's going in there and he isn't confident in himself to be able to get it done it just hasn't got it done but then there are times that he has so in skip's case you're supposed to do it all the time well you can't do it all the time you know? <laughs> yeah. but you but you got but you got to believe that you can
1: of mm. course and i think in dame's case I mean, he went up against the Warriors last Western Conference Finals. Like, if if that's how you're measuring these guys' worth, well, the Warriors destroyed a lot of teams, right? I I felt like in Dame's case, you know, the the roster incrementally improved, but there was always missing some extra piece. But I never felt like Damian left something on the table, like he could have played better. I feel like that's one of his biggest strengths, that he embodies – what Oakland's all about, where he, he's just a gritty guy. He leaves it all out there on the floor, and he's ready to compete. So that's where I was a little confused of the criticism. Like I, I never felt like he had ever left anything on the table that he couldn't offer.
2: I don't think I don't think that's a criticism. I think the criticism is just that in the biggest moments, and going back wow. to the World Conference Finals, for example, he just didn't make the shots that would make the difference. I mean, they got swept by a Warriors team that was missing their best player, missing other significant players uh you know and they still got swept i do think he i do think he should be open to criticism for that but he's also performing incredibly well now and rick like i agree with you i mean uh pressure is a social construct it is something that you entirely put in your own mind and if you honestly just decide not to feel it or not to accept it you shouldn't it is entirely
0: a made-up thing so I, i i totally follow that um well, let me get into one other thing based upon that comment and what Mark had said, is that you don't win basketball games by yourself. No. So even if he was struggling, he didn't do it. His teammates needed to step up. The problem was he struggled, but his teammates didn't deliver. I yeah. know that firsthand. We never win the championship without my teammates. Game seven. Okay, they could have said, oh, Barry chokes and do it. Well, I, I, I did come through in the last five minutes. But the thing is, is that I sucked in that game. And had it not been for my teammates those last five minutes, I would have never had the chance to redeem myself because my teammates were the ones that kept us in the game, holding Chicago scoreless for seven and a half minutes while I was sitting on the bench with our starting center, Clifford Ray. It's like it happened yesterday to me. And I'm so grateful to my teammates. So people have to take that into consideration. You don't win games by yourself. His teammates didn't come through when he was struggling.
2: That's part of it, yeah.
0: Preach, you know, Rick. Preach. <laughs> Mark, you
2: know, I'm curious to know, I, you know, my mentality with this whole bubble is that this is really, in many ways, a brand new season. You know, just because the NBA hit the pause button doesn't mean that human bi- humans, biologically speaking, stopped aging, stopped growing, stopped developing as individuals. And, so, and an, an example of that is is Luka Doncic. I mean, he really is pretty much playing now in his third year. I mean, we're in August. This would be borderline training camp time. For year three of his career LeBron James is not getting any younger I know he didn't put mileage on his legs the past five six months but that didn't stop him from actually getting older my question to you is in in your opinion given the fact that home court's out I mean these guys are all basically in an even playing field that it is fascinating to me how many players I'm starting to notice do feed off crowd energy whether it's a home crowd supporting you or or an away crowd fueling your fire when they're booing you a lot of players I'm noticing feed off that and they're struggling, not not having that right now. But in your opinion, is this a brand new season and is the regular season that is technically attached to this? Should we just wipe that slate clean and we really are coming into this as, as like a brand new season and, and and with that said, being very unpredictable?
1: I feel like it's, it's a little bit in the middle because unlike previous seasons, it's not like there was a draft in free agency where all of a sudden right. you have a new influx of players. Now, there have been maybe a few new players because some people decommitted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe because of injuries, they, they signed some new guys. But by and large, like the, the rosters are pretty much the same from the previous season or before the season was suspended. So I think that's where the carry, you know, the, the overlap is. But I think to your point, where it does feel new – is that, you know, you had the same amount of time off that you would normally have during a Mm -hmm. normal off-season. Longer Um, even, I think, yeah. the Longer even, you allowed guys to get healthier, and then you need a training camp to kind of ramp things back up of the conditioning and teaching new concepts. And I I think that's where there has been this newness to it. And then, you know, you attach all the unique circumstances that we've outlined, that's contributed to, the unpredictability of everything. And so
0: mm-hmm.
1: who knows what's gonna happen. I mean, going in, I still thought, and it very well could be the case, that the the contenders are still gonna be the favorites and that they will have a way to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. But the more I looked at it, you know, just using logic and also talking to people around the league, it was their feeling that the first round in particular that's when the upsets would happen because everything's mm. so thrown out of whack. But the feeling is after that, it almost will be kind of like the NCAA tournament. You have those, you know, kind of Cinderella upsets, the opening rounds, or even the second the second weekend. But after that, it's usually chalk, right? Because the more experienced, the more talented teams usually prevail. But, you know, I think there, there aren't any preconceived notions here because no one can reference – how did the NBA season play out during the last pandemic? Like, this is the first time for it. So everything is is up in the air.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, uh, we're recording this. It's uh, Thursday, August 20th, and we're recording this at 3.50 p.m. Pacific time, which means that in in approximately an hour and a half, they're going to hold the lottery to determine who gets what draft pick. Um, so people listening will know what pick the Warriors have. Mark, you cover this team as their beat reporter for years, including during their dynasty. I mean, you, you really got hired at like a perfect time to cover the Warriors. But in your opinion, I mean, you do cover the NBA as a whole, uh, and I'm guessing that includes a draft to a certain extent. Um, can you break down in a nutshell who you think the Warriors are going to draft? Uh, not so much if they get the, the, the one or two picks. It's probably going to be either Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman. What happens if they get like the fifth pick? think they're going to who do you think they're going to pick up honestly,
1: I have no idea <laughs> I mean, simple, simply i haven 't been saying college basketball because there's been so much going on with the season and the mm-hmm. pandemic, but I think philosophically I, I can speak to what the warriors are thinking where um, you know they're th- what they 've been trying to do ever since they lost in the finals to Toronto and then they got the full clarity that Kevin Durant's gone, and you know because of the sign and trade that they wanted for D'Angelo, that they had to make some financial moves with, getting, with trading Andre Iguodala, they wanted to try to shift seamlessly from being the Bulls dynasty of the 90s to the San Antonio Spurs of the 2000s, where maybe they're not that dominant team every single year and expect to win a title, but they're still in that contending mix every single year, and there's mm-hmm. continuity. So they want Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green to be the equivalent of what Tim Duncan, Mon and Ginobili and Tony Parker were and then find good players around that. So with the draft, I think their priority is going to see if they can trade that in, in some hmm. sort of package that gets talent. But I don't think they're just going to do it hastily. They, they also are mindful that there is value of developing young players, especially when there's spending restrictions. And so I think in in their mind, they almost can't go wrong, if that makes sense, but they also don't want to short circuit any possibility of getting aggressive. And that's how Joe Lacob always is, is that he wants to be relentless but the Warriors also have a good culture and they don't feed into the fi- quick fix like the Knicks might, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they will just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, but it's it's complicated because I think what they also have to weigh is they don't know what the salary cap's going to be because of you know the loss in revenue and, and yeah. uncertainty of when free agency actually starts. And so as a result of that, that trade exception that they got from Iguodala, that was 17.2 million. They don't exactly know when they can use that. And so that, hmm. that's going to be a challenging thing going forward hmm. with how they put together the roster.
2: You know, the two names right. I've heard linked for, tra- I'm sorry, I was just going to say the two no, names. No, no, go ahead. I've, the two names I've heard linked in terms of trades are Aaron Gordon of the Magic and, and Miles Turner of the Pacers Um, any other names, Mark, you've heard, Uh, you know, there's always so much speculation. That's half of the sports media business. I feel like these days, um, what, what, anything you're hearing, any predictions maybe on what the Warriors going to do in terms of the trade, maybe perhaps, you know, I haven't heard anything.
1: I think because of this pandemic, it's really shut down how teams are thinking about these things where, you know, I think after the draft, that's when you're going to start hearing conversations. Really, what a lot of GMs are doing now is a lot of them have been the, the team representatives on site at the bubble, and they're you know kind of being the liaison between the team and the league with safety concerns, all that. Their their head is, I think, more wrapped around all those things than having these trade discussions. I think, I, and as a result of that, that's why there hasn't been you know, many things coming out of, hey, this team's doing this, this team's doing that, and it also helps that now we're in the middle of the playoffs. So I think there will be more clarity with how that plays out once the finals are over. But I think with the Warriors, it's not so much who they're targeting as a trade, but I think when they got Andrew Wiggins, it was the same reason philosophically of why they got D'Angelo Russell as well, where mm-hmm. – they thought he's a, he's a good young talent. They, they think that under their system they can bring the best out of him. But if not, and if the fit's not great, they still have an amazing asset that they think that can attract, you know, another team in a deal that can either land them a pretty good player or a multitude of picks. And I think for them, you know, they found philosophically there was a greater need to get a wing with Wiggins because they didn't have one since Durant's departure and they needed some help defensively than D'Angelo where, you know, they had him knowing that Clay was gonna be out, uh, so they needed some more backcourt help and now that he's gonna be back next season, that value wouldn't have been as strong if they had kept him. Uh, so we'll just we'll just have to see how that all plays out. Well
0: getting back to what you said a little earlier, talking about it and how the Warriors can go wrong. Well they can go wrong if they make <laughs> lousy choices. That's how they can go wrong when they draft because they have to do a great job, but that's, it all comes down to three things. This has been my philosophy about it in team sports. You win with three things. Who do you draft? Who do you get in free agency? Who do you trade for? And uh-huh. unfortunately for that long stretch, I remember the Warriors when 13 years out of making the playoffs after they made some of the worst decisions ever. And some of their draft picks were <laughs> questionable at best is uh, I mean, it's horrible choices and they really need to do a really good job. And so if they're going to use the draft pick, they damn but it make sure that it's somebody that is worthy Of trying to develop. Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, that's the
0: biggest problem. That's the biggest problem I see for them to be very competitive for next season. To me, I, I don't see anybody out there that if you don't get the first two picks, that, oh, wow, this guy's going to be unbelievable and turn the team around. I mean, yeah. what the hell do you need a young kid to do that? Trade him if somebody else wants to do it. If you can get somebody that can take the team that exists today and put him in there as another element to take him to the next level to make him a competitive team. That's what I think they should do. And then whatever they do with the Iggy, you know, situation with the, what they have that that restricted draft opportunity for the salary cap, then that's a decision as to whether you want to use that now or whatever. But uh, for the, for the pick itself, I I say, if you can get a good trade and bring somebody in, that's what you need to do. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, where,
1: where I was standing of they can't go wrong. I don't think that there is a right or wrong choice. of do you trade the pick or draft it, like what's the ranking. I think it's more to your point of, okay, what are you getting? So that that's where you know where the rubber meets the road of if they're making the right decision. Who are they selecting in the draft? Who are they trading for if that's what they have? Or if yeah. that happens. But philosophically, trade draft, uh, I think both options are pretty good.
0: Yeah, well, the, but the thing is it's a risk on the draft. And if you yeah. know what you're – if you can know you're going to get something that you already have uh, – you know what, it, what the person – who he is, what, the, what he can do, uh, that's a much, <laughs> it's a much better scenario as far as I'm concerned as opposed to hoping unless – I mean, unless this guy is showing you something like when I saw – well, you mentioned Kevin Durant. I saw Kevin Durant. I saw LeBron James. You when know, they were playing when they were young and all. And I said, oh, my God, these guys going to be a great basketball player. So mm-hmm. unless it's somebody like that. Then you know you're risking that. Whereas if you know you can get somebody who's proven what they're capable of doing and know how well they can fit in, whether he's got the personality or whatever, to me, I would prefer to go that route. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and knowing how Joe is, you know, he he's mindful that as great as Steph and Clay and Draymond are, like they're in this kind of crossroads here where they are in the prime of their career but within what three or four years they're going to start getting closer to that mid-30 range and then all of a sudden you know you're wondering okay how quickly are they going to start seeing father time so there is this window that they don't want to just drag their feet under because Mm -hmm. these are special players and they want Mm -hmm. to you know
0: get to that championship window before they start Seeing Father Time knocking on their door. Exactly. You don't have. They don't have to wait. Say two, three years. We'll be back to where we were. Two, three years from now, you won't be where you used to be because the yeah. three guys you just talked about aren't going to be who they were. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can follow Mark Medina on Twitter at uh,
2: MarkG_Medina. Mark. Before we let you go, you're in the bubble. You cover the NBA for USA Today. My former employer. I was with him for almost ten years. Uh, who are you predicting will make the NBA finals and who do you predict winning the world championship?
1: Wow. Well, well, I've, I've been predicting that the Lakers are going to win. Uh, but after seeing that first game, I'm not going (laughs) to suddenly withdraw, but they, they have to fix their three point shooting. It goes without saying. Um, and you know, I still think it comes down to how healthy LeBron and AD are. But, you know, there's a queer difference between shooting 30% from three versus 15% from three. Oh. If you're shooting 15% from three, you almost have to be perfect everywhere else. But I think that the Lakers will figure this out um, hmm. as long as those two guys are healthy. And I think, you know, the one things, even though their play hasn't indicated otherwise, during the regular season – One thing that I think they should get credit for is that it's easy to say they won because they had all this top-heavy talent, all that. But they they also had a maturity to them where they navigated potential landmines pretty well. Like they didn't have there weren't personality conflicts with AD and LeBron. They were able to get the coaching staff and all the role players pretty much on the same page pretty quickly. And then you know navigating the Kobe tragedy, um, you know during the season suspension you know, a lot of the guys were being very disciplined with how you go about handling quarantine and winning the weight of taking care of your body and still dieting, even though there's only so many things you can do. And so I think that they have that maturity to to handle this game. One loss is what it is. It's one loss. But I think going back to our earlier point, you know, all bets are off. So do I think the Lakers will win the title? Yes, but if something else happens, I'm not going to be surprised. I mean, th- this is all uncharted territory, and we're all just living through it for the first
0: time. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your taking the time. We'll let you get back to your duties there to go cover what's happening in the bubble. Mark Medina from uh, USA Today uh, greatly do appreciate your, uh, your spending yeah. this time with us, and we'll see Thank what you. happens because I always tell people in the NBA, always expect the unexpected. <laughs> Without a doubt, well,
1: Rick, I really appreciate being on here. I'm honored and always, uh, always was humbled, and and uh, didn't take lightly that you were always so gracious with your time when I was trying to pick your brain on warrior stuff. So it's 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 been a treat to uh, to be able to switch roles a little bit.
0: <laughs> all right well this is hey take care well i know you're going to stay well down there because they got you on the under such strict regimen yeah. that uh, you you're probably the one of the safest people on the planet earth right now so enjoy the rest of your time down there let's hope the games continue to go well it's going to be fun to see how this all plays itself out so uh, god and, bless you and
2: you know and and mark i want to add you know we've, we've crossed paths a few times over the years you know whether it's like you know player tunnels uh media areas you know, I've been doing this thing for over 20 years on the media side. You're one of the good ones, man. And I just wanted to thank you for coming on. It was, it was. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was really gracious of you. I know you're busy and you're in the bubble. I hope the food is good. I didn't ask you about that. Is the food decent, at least?
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, look, uh we're, we're used to, when you go on the road, you can treat yourself to a nice meal, but no, the food's fine. You know, anyone that's. Good acting like this is such an ordeal because oh the food like that's just hogwash right uh you know you're in disney right so they have these like mickey mouse themed ice cream sandwiches and ice cream oh. bars i mean yeah you can indulge a little bit but
2: yeah it's different but it's all good nice all right man thanks mark
0: all right well we appreciate it uh, thank you so much mark take care for cyrus satches this is rick barry and warriors 24 wishing all of you uh, good health and hopefully We'll move forward and try to get back to a more of a sense of normalcy and, uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Rick, uh, you're, you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks, right? You're going on a trip. Well, Nick, um, I'll be, I'm, I'll be gone all of next week. So it won't, won't be available for next week.
2: Okay. So we'll be back in approximately two weeks or so. I want to ask you before we go though. I mean, the NBA is going to look, I think considerably different when we do our next show based on what you've seen so far. I want to ask you as well, Mr. Hall of Famer, who do you think now, who's the favorite in your
0: mind for winning the championship? The team that scores the most points in each Thank game. Thank you. You, you see why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. because Listen, I'm telling you right now, Dallas looked very impressive in the game last they night. Did. They looked really good. And they could, as like I said, won the other game there. And we just talked about that with Mark, about the fact that the Lakers didn't look very you know, efficient. And they've got work to do. Milwaukee loses the first game in their playoff series they're going at it now to try to get back to one and one so it'll be fun I'm going to keep an eye on it when I'm gone thank God for the internet and we'll uh, (laughs) we'll we'll see and we'll have some interesting things to talk about but I think it's a very compelling situation that exists right now because it's it's so uncertain especially with what's transpired in these early games
2: yeah, it really is. I, it, the Mavericks, to me, are definitely the team of the future. They're almost the team of the present. I mean, we forgot about uh, Seth Curry's lighting it up for them, too. I mean, they got a good team there. Um, I'm just happy basketball's back. This is fun. It's fun watching this. Rick, always a pleasure, sir. Have fun on your trip. All
0: right. Bye, everybody.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe.